0: Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to the NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. I apologize for being a little bit late. Had a uh, had an elongated evening last night, and then uh, had a tough time getting to rest. You know what I'm saying? Some, some nights you're like, man, I just want to get into bed and sleep till about ten o'clock, and uh, Ended up did sleeping at 10 o'clock, but uh, only because I tossed and turned until about 6. But uh, but that's not why you tuned in. But I do apologize for being a little bit late. I'll, I'll try to be better in the future. We have Mississippi State baseball later this evening as South Alabama comes to town. First time we've played South Alabama since the 2017 regional at Southern Miss. I don't know if you recall that, that the, uh, you know, South Alabama-Mississippi State played pretty regularly. It kind of makes sense for us to have them come in and play because, number one, they're, they're, they're a really good program for their league more years than not, and uh, Mobile's not that far away. But uh, So we'll have them back at Dirty Noble Field uh, for the first time in over a year. And so uh, we'll, we'll get into that, talk about pitching matchups, all those things that go along with that, and then uh, have a little spring football talk as well. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty here when it comes to college baseball. So you, you really are kind of, kind of getting a snapshot of who's good, who's not, who's got work to do, who's kind of rebuilding this year, who's uh, disappointing, and and I would say right now Mississippi State is is playing up to expectations. There have been some uh, some instances we have let a ball game get away, but when you look at the non-conference schedule, you look at the midweek schedule. State is taking care of business in the midweek, and uh, what's interesting about that to me is that so many schools in the Southeastern Conference are not taking care of that. So we'll get into some of that stuff as well. I want to thank our good friends at Campus Bookmart, Stan, Ray, Miss uh, Kathy Brown, the whole crew there. They will treat you like family because you know what, in their eyes you are family and uh, you can feel comfortable going in there knowing you're going to get a great product at a great price and you can outfit your home, your RV, your family, your pet, your automobile, whatever you want to do. You can do all of that right there at Campus Bookmart. Do Service with a smile. They're happy to see you come. Uh, each and every time and uh, if you can't make it to town and I understand game days are difficult for some people it's not a shopping day and if you're like me I'm always anxious to kind of get to the venue and get set up and get settled so if you're one of those folks maybe it's better off that you shop online we encourage you to go to campusbookmart.net and by being a loyal Boneyard listener we'll give you a promo code it's BSR which stands for beautiful Steve Robertson and that will save you shipping on all orders over $50 and trust me once you look around online there you're going to find plenty of things that you're going to want to put in that basket. So, again, that's BSR, beautiful Steve Robertson, save shipping on all orders over 50 bucks at campusbookmart.net. So, let's get into uh, South Alabama here. Uh, Mississippi State going to throw Jack Egan tonight. Jack, a uh, left-hander, will get his first start. You know, it's been kind of Eric Sarantola, and I do expect this to kind of be a Johnny Holstaff day, uh, but I imagine if Egan comes out and uh, is doing well the first time through the order, maybe let him get a little... A little elongated there, but uh, trying some different things, and that's really what the midweek is supposed to be about. You want to win the ball game, but you want to get some work for these guys, and kind of get them ready for those SEC type appearances. And uh, you've got to have some guys too to kind of eat up some innings to save some arms. Uh, Egan didn't throw over the weekend, so he should be fresh and ready to go. And he's been a little up and down at times. There's sometimes he goes out there and he's been absolutely dominant. Other times he kind of elevates the fastball some. Uh, He does have pretty good arm side running at two-seam fastball. Like his makeup, like his attitude, he'll be a guy that I think can can really be uh, a solid contributor down the stretch for Mississippi State. So he will get the start tonight. Now, South Alabama, they will counter with a right-hander, and his name is Patrick McBride. Uh, 0-1 on the year, ERA of 5.40, five appearances, two starts, just 13 innings pitched and five appearances. And remember, Tuto's a starter. So I, I would assume that's really kind of more of an opener-type deal. But 13 innings, not a lot of innings, uh, you know, for, for a midweek guy. But, uh, you know, Eakin's probably in the same boat in that respect. But he gives up uh, and hit an inning. Uh, it's allowed eight runs, all earned, nine walks to just seven strikeouts. So he is a guy that appears to struggle a little bit with uh, with control, not a big strikeout guy. Giving up a couple of extra base hits. Opponents are hitting 295 against him. And uh, so – it's going to be that typical non-conference deal. They're not throwing an ace. They're in conference play as well, so this is not like an RPI deal for them, where they're just looking to, you know, kind of leverage a weekend guy to kind of pick up a win against a you know a top-ranked opponent. They're they're going to kind of get their rotation set, and so they're one of those teams too that they are 14 and 17 overall. We talked about that on Monday show, a little behind what you what they normally are, but they played a very challenging non-conference schedule. Uh, They did get out and go play some people. They were willing to get out and go play. And now that they're in their league, I do expect them to get a little bit better down the stretch. And so a quality non-conference opponent from Mississippi State to say the least. So one of the things I want to share with you guys too, you know, we lost a a game. I have not been able to get this confirmed on the record. And I have contacted a half dozen people. And generally, when you know something – and you're wrong, people will tell you that you're wrong. When you're right, a lot of times people don't tell you anything, which is kind of a confirmation of sorts. But I've reached out to a few people, so I have learned privately that uh, Mississippi State is currently in negotiations or, or pretty much agreed to, in, in principle, a deal to add Louisiana Tech to the non-conference schedule this year. You know, Mississippi State lost a game in the Frisco Classic down there due to weather. We didn't get to play Nebraska on Sunday. And so we're short a game, and Chris Lemons had told us you know a week or two after that they were kind of looking to see, you know, who was available because you could certainly add some teams, but you don't want to you know add a team, add a game, and then lose an RPI because of the fact that uh, you know that, that team is just not any good. I mean, and, and there's been some times we've we've done that. It's kind of a uh, it's kind of a delicate balance there you know you don't want to be better off and there have been some years where we have not added a game just because we could not find a quality opponent. You get a game washed out or rained out and, and you, you think okay well we can just you know add one of those slack schools around here we can pick somebody up that's, that's willing to make the trip uh, but when you're in contention for a national seed you know when you're in contention for some big things there, you uh, need to kind of schedule accordingly so Mississippi State. You know, lost that game. Uh, I say lost the game. We, we were not able to play that game in Frisco, and so Tech loses a game on their schedule. It was a midweek game on March thirteenth against Sam Houston State. That game was canceled, and uh, they've not they have not added a uh, a replacement. So I understand that the conversations are. I don't. I don't think Mississippi State has a signed contract yet, and so we'll just say. That's what we're hearing tentatively, and I'm sure that's why people may be a little bit reluctant to speak on the record about it. But uh, I do have it on pretty good authority, Mississippi State, Louisiana Tech, likely to add a non-conference game to the 2019 schedule. So so kind of be advised of that. Be prepared for that. Uh, so that I know a lot of you guys, it's difficult to get here in the midweek, but there are a lot of you guys that live in the Golden Triangle or, or you pass through on business and you're trying to, uh, to, to catch a game when you can at this glorious venue we have at Duty Noble Field. Uh, Just be mindful of that. And so as we get more information, I expect at some point soon the university will make that announcement formal once they have a signed contract in hand. But uh, both teams need a game, and the Louisiana Tech team doing pretty well in RPI, and so that would uh, only help matters. Uh, But excited to see them. They're 22 and 10 overall, 8 and 4 in their conference, so it will not be a pushover by any stretch of the imagination. But we'll have more details about that as we get a little bit closer to that. So a lot of people have asked, uh, and it's, it's something that I guess has kind of captivated the, uh, you know, the imagination of a lot of people. Is you know what what can Jake Mangum do uh, the remainder of this year, uh, chasing these records? And so Jake currently 339 uh, with hits, and uh, got four games this week, 13 off the SEC record. So you know if he he needs to pick up a couple of hits tonight. And so if in the event Jake could pick up a couple tonight, then that moves him into a tie for second place all-time in the Southeastern Conference. There are two players currently ranked, uh, Preston Tucker and uh, Jack Donnelly, I think is his name from Auburn. Uh, They're at 341. So Jake has a big ball game tonight. He could move into a tie or or even uh, sole possession of second place all-time on the Southeastern Conference career hits list. The SEC record is something you should all know by now. It's probably – somewhat ingrained in your memory because we've talked about it so much. He's 352. There are other people who say, well, you know, Steve, maybe he can make a run at the national record. I, you know, I, I think that's probably safe. 418 hits, that, that's going to require, you know, that, that would require an effort that I don't know that we've ever seen in college baseball. But uh, he has a really good chance, too, to break the single-season mark. Not just the career-hits mark in Mississippi State, but also the single-season-hits uh, mark. And we'll keep you up to date on that as we get a little closer to that, too. That, that's still... You know, way down the road. But that's one of those things, too. A lot of people think, okay, we got through the school record, and there's kind of this this feeling of, you know, maybe waiting to exhale. You know, you kind of get that done. And then, okay, now we we kind of recalibrate and thinking, okay, well, now we're looking at the SEC record. But once you get through that, which I think will happen here in the next, you know, week to 10 days, I guess theoretically it could happen this weekend. 13 hits is a lot in a week. Jake did have 11 last week. And, uh, you know, you obviously know that he is conscious of this. And I know that Jake would love to be able to break the record at home in front of our fans at a big SEC weekend. I I get it, and I'm sure he'll put a lot of pressure on himself to try to get that done. In order for that to really be feasible, he's going to probably need, you know, big, big night tonight. You know, it's not atypical for Jake Mangum to put together a, uh, you know, a nine-hit weekend, but SEC pitching is a little bit different. So it's possible. When we get together on Friday, you know, we'll have a better idea of what he needs. But, uh, But all that being said, once you get through the SEC record, then there are still some other things out there that are attainable. You know, as I mentioned, that the national hit record of 418 probably is not. But uh, Jake Mangum obviously is kind of rewriting the Mississippi State hitting book, and there have been so many people that have said, "Well, what?" You know, does Jake get a statue? Uh, you know, and and to be honest with you, I don't think so. Okay, uh, I think Jake is one of the best pure hitters to ever play at Mississippi State, and uh, there have been so many discussions about, "Well, who's the best center fielder of all time?" Uh, I think. You know, my vote is for Jake Mangum, and I did see uh, Jody Hurst play. I did see Dan Van Cleve play, God rest his soul. But I think Jake, while some of those guys may have been a little bit better, Jake is kind of good at everything. And uh, Jake maybe doesn't have the power some of those guys do, but the bottom line is Jake is about to do something that no SEC player in the history of the league has ever done, has ever done. And uh, there's only a couple guys ahead of him hits-wise. And so as long as Jake stays healthy – He could write his name, you know, forever uh, at at a hits mark that I I think will not be challenged for decades. And you look at Eddie Furness, you know, it's really contrast in styles. Eddie Furness was really more of a power guy. And and, uh, I saw somebody mention this earlier about the chance of Eddie, Eddie, even at Duty Noble Field when their fans came in. And, um, you know, I, I hate losing to LSU. I absolutely despise losing to LSU. Uh, so anytime there's a bulldog that can take down an LSU record, I'm always happy about that. But uh, a lot of respect for Eddie Furness. When somebody asked me a while back, who's the one guy, uh, an opposing player in the Southeastern Conference that you you hated to be up there, like if, you, if the game was on the line, who's the one guy you wouldn't want to face? And my, without question, to me, it's Eddie Furness because he was a clutch guy too. He was one of those guys that uh, it wasn't he wasn't just a singles hitter. He was a guy that could hit some bombs, too. and I know that his game didn't translate well to the wooden bat and, and the professional ranks, but um, he was a guy you feared. And you begin to look back you know, to think that his name, he was not a great professional player, but his name still kind of, if you mention that in some circles, Mississippi State fans, you, you kind of get a wince because they remember how he hurt us. And there are a few other guys I can think of. You, know, Brad Cressy is another one. You know, Brad Cressy's a guy that it seemed like every time he came up, there was two on and two outs in the inning, and and uh, we couldn't get him out. And so, I know Jake has that same mystique about him in the eyes of some opponents. And everywhere I go, the more that I travel to cover baseball this year, it's been I've made more of a commitment that this year because of kind of the historical nature of the season, not to mention the fact that. I believe this is going to end up being a very special season for Mississippi State. It already has been, but I think I think the best is yet to come. But everywhere I go, people want to talk about three things. Dirty Noble Field, JT Ginn, Jake Mangum. Uh we've talked about all those today. And JT Again situation, we will hope to get some clarity on him tonight. You know, it's one of those things, and I've said this many times, is that if you talk to enough people, you can hear whatever you want to hear. I was told yesterday that uh, there have been no talks about him shutting it down, that they, they would do some tests kind of as a precaution just to make sure that he, that he's okay. And, uh, you know, I, I can't promise you he's going to pitch this weekend. We will attempt to find out tonight when we speak with Chris Lamonis uh, after the ball game. I have reached out to some people, and at this point nobody wants to talk, but that is not atypical because you know, Chris Lamonis is the voice from Mississippi State baseball. And so no other, other people don't want to get out of, out of sorts, you know, uh, and, and kind of get out of protocol. So, Lamonis will speak about that. We will definitely ask him uh, tonight. And so, be watching the Twitter feed, be watching jeanspage.com. Uh, we'll have it in our post game coverage of tonight's ball game against South Alabama. So, again, there are a lot of rumors out there, some positive, some negative. But until we hear it directly from Chris Lamonis, you know, we're, we're going to hold off on speculation because the thing that I have learned about that is is there are so many people that will believe so much in what they're saying, and they really don't know anything. But the more they tell the story, it's like, well, this is what I heard. Okay, and then, well, who did you hear it from? Well, I don't want to tell you that. Well, here's the deal. I, I'm talking to people at Mississippi State. I am talking to people directly involved in Mississippi State baseball. And so if if they're not willing, and granted, I understand, they, they know they're talking to a reporter. So when they're talking to me, they're basically talking to you. So they're, they're going to be kind of careful what they tell us, a little in their comments. Uh, but there have been a lot of things out there that have been put on the internet that uh, they're not true. And so we will get an official word tonight, one way or the other, and we will share that with you. I want to thank you guys, too, for your support of Bulldog Burger Company. I was there yesterday, went in and spoke with Ian. Uh, I just love going in there. It's one of those places I've mentioned, like when you go in, it's kind of like going to cheers where everybody's like, hey, you know, welcome. We're so glad you're here. They're running some daily specials, too. And I want to encourage you guys to do this. If you are an Instagrammer, you need to go follow up Bulldog Burger Company on Instagram. And what I, what, what I mean by that is they will run some daily specials. Like yesterday, they're running the I.E. Tuna, tuna Burger. I've never had that one. But it's one of those things, you know, it's a little exotic at times. But uh, they are going to uh, to have the, the daily specials. You can follow them on Twitter too. But uh, I know on the Instagram page, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, maybe it's a little more visual, you know. Uh, but, but nevertheless, you can go keep up with them there. Uh, a lot of good things happening at Bulldog Burger Company. We'll have some big announcements coming up for our, for our friends there in the, in the coming weeks. But I um, encourage you to follow them on social media. And so if you're going to be in town this weekend and you're going to be in the Cotton District, you know, we are going to have the, uh, the Arts and Crafts Festival and have all the tents down there, Bulldog Burger Company is going to have an adult beverage tent set up right outside. You can uh, have the 1817 uh, beer. You can have margaritas. They're going to have all that set up for you. And so if you're looking to come and kind of peruse through all the stuff, and I'm going to be just down from them uh, at the Book Martin and Cafe Tent, uh, signing books, taking pictures, uh, kissing baby mamas and all that good stuff. And so you come by, be a part of that. Go by and get you a cold beverage and then come by and say hello. Uh, looking forward to a great weekend here in Starville, And make sure Bulldog Burger Company is, is part of your weekend plans. Again, Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starville people go to meet. M E A T. So looking around the league, I mentioned at the top of the show that um, the SEC specifically, and I know Oregon beat Oregon State last night, but that's a rivalry game. But it's so interesting to me that the uh, yeah, the SEC has really struggled in midweek, and uh, that is something I think you know collectively hurts the entire league when you begin to look at the. You know the, the team RPIs and that sort of stuff, these things matter. And I, I, know, I know the Kendall Rogers of the world, and I've got a great amount of respect for Kendall Rogers and Aaron Fitt and all those guys because of their commitment to cover college baseball because I love college baseball, and I know you guys do as well. But to suggest that these midweek games don't mean anything, that's just inaccurate. It may not mean anything in, in how they rank teams, but I think when you begin to look at the health of the league, because there's no way you should go out and lose a midweek ball game to an inferior opponent on a regular basis. It's one thing to have something pop up every now and again, you know, where somebody just has a hot pitcher and you have a tough night at the plate. That's gonna happen. But to regularly lose non-conference games during the midweek, that, that's concerning. Because as you get into regional play, those guys who throw your midweek games, they're going to be a factor. No, nobody wins two games in a regional and calls it a day. We do that in a Super, but not in a regional. The depth of your pitching staff is going to be challenged in a regional. And I think that's where this midweek stuff comes in into play, uh, but looking at last night, rather interesting. Uh, Tennessee, our good friends from Knoxville, we saw last weekend. They took care of business, knocked off Lipscomb 11 to two. Florida gets by Florida State 3-1. They, the Gators, have dominated that rivalry as of late. I don't know what the streak is now—maybe 10, 11 games, whatever. But Florida, even in a rebuilding year, they own Mike Martin and, and Florida State. And sometimes I think about—I almost feel a little bit sorry for Florida State when I think about you know. We deserve a national championship, and I look at what they've endured, but I don't want them to win one before we do. And that's why I met walking them off last year uh, was, so much, was so great. I absolutely loved it. Mike Martin's a great coach. I uh, love what he's done for college baseball. But uh, Coach Kevin O'Sullivan is his daddy right now. There is no question about it, and that's something I am sure they used to kind of rally the troops last night and say, you know what, we're, we're not going to lose this one. We may have had a tough weekend against Ole Miss. We're going to find a way to win this rivalry game. Uh, Georgia, currently ranked number two in the country. Georgia knocked off Georgia Tech 12-2. Tech, uh, a rising ACC team, having a good year, ranked 17th. Georgia gets them. Uh, We'll have Georgia here at Dirty Noble Field here in a couple weeks, and uh, excited to see them. They've got pitching. That's one of the things that people said from the beginning of the year is Georgia is going to be much improved because they've got arms, might have the best pitching staff in the Southeastern Conference. Well, they give up two runs to a top-25 team in a midweek game. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's pretty indicative of the fact that they have some real depth. Uh, we, when we see them, I expect some low-scoring, quick games. I mean, you know, I'm talking two-and-a-half hours, that sort of stuff. Some two-to-one, three-to-two type ball games will be a great matchup. Really, really glad we get that one at home. Alabama, this weekend's opponent, they kind of stretched your legs a bit last night. They took, took care of Samford 21-to-2. That's almost uh, sacrilegious. I mean, to beat some, beat an in-state foe like that, twenty-one-two, uh, and Samford is a team that we expect to uh, to really challenge for the SoCon this year. And so, good win for Alabama in many respects, and uh, hopefully it's their last one of the week because I, I really think you know we're running out of opportunities to sweep people and kind of climb back into the the race for the SEC championship. And yes, we still control our own destiny. But we can't continue to give a game away each weekend, and I feel like that's really been the case in every SEC weekend this year. We should have, should have swept Florida very easily, could have swept Auburn. We should have swept Southern Miss, you know, to begin the year. Give that Friday night ball game away, offense a little bit behind, pitching at that point. Uh, but in you know, that last weekend, the, the Tennessee game, you know, we give the ball game away, and again, you, you can't you can continue to do that and play your way into a very good hosting opportunity. But I think. With the potential this team has and with us trying to get to a national seed and really compete for an SEC championship, and we're certainly in the mix, even though the schedule's not favorable, we have a much more difficult road to get there. Georgia and Vanderbilt, those teams in the east, uh, kind of had the benefit of having the worst teams in the league on their side of the bracket. They're going to play everybody over there. We're not going to be able to play Kentucky Missouri. We do get to play Alabama, and that's this weekend. They're the last place team in the West. So we have got to take advantage of that this weekend. Uh Jacksonville State takes down Auburn last night 11 to 6. I could see Auburn out of the top 25 next week. I I felt from the very beginning that they were a little bit overranked, a little bit overrated because one of the things that I have learned about college baseball rankings is um there a lot of people that do the ranking, they skew way too much early in the season about pitching. And we and we've seen some of that irrational exuberance in, in, about our own pitching staff to be quite honestly. And when we got going early in the year, my soccer oh, it's maybe the best pitching staff in the country. And, and while I think we're very, very good, I think now that we're halfway through the season, a little bit over halfway, things are in focus, and we feel like we've got a really good staff. But we don't have, you know, a elite staff where I think you can say, you know what, no matter who we trot out there, we're going to win a ball game. So Auburn got the benefit of some big things early, you know, with them sweeping Tennessee. And Tennessee had gotten off to that 15-0 start. But it's one of those deals where you look at a lot of that is fool's gold. Tennessee's an improved team, but uh, you know I don't think Auburn is an elite team, and I think you're going to continue to see that play out over the end of the, uh, the year. Uh, South Carolina survives Charlotte 5-4 uh, in that ball game. I don't know what's going to happen to South Carolina, but I continue to say on this show I'm very, very glad that Mississippi State gets them in that final weekend because we're going to have a lot to play for, and they're not, and we're going to need those wins. That could be the difference in having a national seed or not is uh, kind of how that series works. If we can win that one, if we can sweep that one, because I think they're going to be ready to get it over. I think they're going to be a team that's going to be – might even be out of contention for Hoover at that point. And so they could be playing out the string. And so when you look over the totality of the season, uh, that's a big weekend for us. And last weekend, last year, you know, Mississippi State, we needed to go in and uh, we had number one Florida coming in here and just felt like we needed to get at least a win uh, to get to Hoover. We ended up getting the sweep. And then then the magic happens. And you, you basically start fresh. You have a brand-new season, and you get into the postseason, and, you, and you catch fire. And so uh, that weekend will be big for us. So continue to watch South Carolina. I, I think they're going to continue to struggle. When the schedule first came out, I remember thinking, man, they're not doing us any favors uh, giving us South Carolina at the end of the year because they have a lot of talent there. We didn't expect them to contend this year, but uh, by and large they have been a very, very talented program over the course of the last decade or so. Uh, Ole Miss takes down Southern Miss last night, 11-2. to two. There was a time where Southern Miss kind of owned the midweek rivalry uh, with Ole Miss. But uh, Ole Miss is swinging hot bats right now, put up 11 runs again, had a big weekend. Uh, and, you know, we, quite frankly, I was hoping Florida would take them down a game or two. Uh, that didn't happen. But uh, Ole Miss, after the embarrassment of losing to North Alabama, have really come out with purpose and played really well. We'll see them here uh, in the uh, second weekend of May. Uh, when we make that trip to Oxford. Uh, Missouri knocks off South, I guess it's South Illinois University, Edwardsville, or Southeastern, What a, a directional school nevertheless, 10-3. to 3. Uh, Texas State takes down number 10, Texas A&M 5-3. Let me tell you, I am not sold on the Aggies. I think they are a really, really good team. I don't think they're a great team. and I think we have a really good opportunity to go down there and win that series. Uh, they've got some guys that can swing the bats a little bit, and uh, they've They had a ton of strikeouts last year as a pitching staff. So, again, that'll be a challenge. But I think uh, when we make that trip down there the first weekend in May, we've got an opportunity to go do some big things and probably begin to separate ourselves. May has to be closing time for the Bulldogs. And when you look at that schedule, I think in many respects, it's going to play to our favor. I really do. Uh, Southern University beats LSU, and that's really salt in the wound to me. I look at that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Southern – uh, loses to McNe- LSU, loses to McNeese State, and then turns around loses to Southern, but they they still found a way uh, to keep the Bulldogs' number and win two out of three in Starkville, and that's something that'll probably stay with me from now on. I just I think that was a golden opportunity. I think this LSU team is still overrated. I think that's that's a that the loss of that series is something that still sticks in the crawl because I believe Mississippi State is a superior team, but I believe they came in here with some focus, and I think we got a little bit. And I don't know if cocky is the right word, but I think because we, we got on them pretty good the first game in that series, I think we relaxed a little bit. There's a lot of pride in the uniform. There's a lot of talent on that roster. And, and listen, Palmineri always seems to elevate his team when it's time to play Mississippi State. It's just the reality of things. But they lose to Southern 7-2, to one of the biggest wins in Jaguar history. I know Roger Cador, the coach down there years ago, uh, one of the finest gentlemen in all of college baseball, uh, really thought a lot of, of uh, Coach Cador. And uh, so happy to see the Jags get the win. But, again, it kind of irritates me that uh, we lost that series. Vanderbilt takes down Middle Tennessee 15-3 last night. And Arkansas takes down Oral Roberts 15-8. to As the dogs go nuts around here. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But that's, uh, that's life and times in the Robertson household sometimes. We, uh, we got a pack of dogs out here. But nevertheless. Uh, so ready to see what happens this weekend. Ready to see some good things happen for Bulldog baseball. And, again, we need to find a way to go win this series. And, and, and really, it, if we're going to take the next step and, and kind of be bona fide contenders for this thing, we need to go get us sleep this weekend. Uh, there won't be a lot of scoreboard watching tonight because Mississippi State won of only two games in the league, uh, Kentucky and Lipscomb the, the, the other one. And so not a lot of games of note. A lot of people went ahead and got that non-conference game out of the way uh, yesterday. So we will be one of the only games in the conference uh, tonight. So, Mississippi State also going to have a Super Bulldog weekend this weekend. It's something we all look forward to. And, and uh, always a lot of concern about the weather this time of year. We don't know what the contingency plans would be for the moon and white game. Uh, I suspect that uh, the game will go ahead and be played. Uh, they may move it around some. We'll see. No decisions have been made as of late. And, and here's the thing that I have learned is that uh, as soon as the calendar rolls over to Sunday, there are people that immediately start looking at their phones and, oh, well, the, the forecast for Saturday looks bad, and uh, as if we don't, we haven't lived in Mississippi long. You know, it's one of the things that I have learned is that living in the South, the weather is unbelievably unpredictable. I remember a few years ago, 2016, we had Oregon coming in uh, to play a baseball series, and it looked like it was going to be a total washout the whole weekend, and, and people were almost happy about it, saying, you know, Oregon's got the, the top uh, pitching staff in the country. They're ranked in the top ten. People were thinking, well, man, maybe – Maybe we just need this to get washed out. Well, it turns out not a single game got washed out. Mississippi State swept the series. But uh, it, but as soon as the, the, each week starts, we're thinking, oh, would we play two on Friday? We'll we play two on Sunday. Well, here's what I'm told: if it, in the event that we move a game, we'll probably try to play two on Sunday. Uh, yet one of those games is an SEC network game. But uh, so just by the time we get into Friday, we should have a pretty good idea of uh, what the schedule is going to look like. But a- as of now. Stick to your regularly scheduled programming, which is the maroon and white game at one, and then baseball at three o'clock. So we will have, uh, you know, we'll have a couple of good times here. Well, so we'll try to get that. If we have to move the game on Saturday, I'm sure it'll be a probably a 11 a.m. start to try to get that game done before the uh, SEC network game set for three o'clock. And so with the Alabama being so close, it's the getaway day, but you don't have quite the same travel restrictions that you would when you fly, of course. And so a little different deal, but uh, everybody just needs to relax. Everybody needs to calm down and quit trying to be an amateur meteorologist. And there's so many of those people that you know they get on Facebook and say, "Well, I, you know, here's what I'm looking at. I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna wait until the day of the game, or the day before the game, and kind of depend on what the professionals say." But uh, be that as it may, we will keep you updated. Watch your social social media outlets. There could be some changes as we get into the weekend. But the bottom line is. We're going to have a great time here. As I mentioned, there's going to be the Cotton District Arts and Crafts Festival. That's always a great deal. And so if you have an opportunity to get here early, please go by and do that. You know, you can park on campus and then walk down to the Cotton District. That is a nice walk. A lot of friends and family are going to be down there. They're going to block it all off. It's going to be a pedestrian-type event. Okay, so you can walk down there and take part and enjoy that. And then walk back in time for the Maroon and White game, and then walk over to baseball. And many of us could use a few extra steps. And some of you guys have your Fitbit. It's a good chance for you to hit your step goal that day. So come down, and be a part of all that. Now let's look at football. Here, there's only a handful of practices left, and uh, really, I would say the things that are probably causing the most questions right now is, well, where's Keaton Thompson in relation to the accuracy and that sort of stuff? Okay, so here is. Uh, here is my take on things, and I and I, and I have not been to every practice. Paul Jones and Dave Murray have been to all of them for us. Uh, but, I, of course, I, I monitor everything, keep up with everything, talk to people, kind of get some off-the-record commentary from time to time so I can share with you guys. But Keaton is the guy, and uh, it's obviously still a work in progress. And one of the things that I have learned uh, in all the years of, of covering Mississippi State football is that more times than not, our completion percentage in Palmero Center is, is a little bit less than it is in the open air. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because maybe because of the building in and of itself, as you think, okay, I got to be a little more careful with my pass here, and so people uh, maybe guide it a little bit more and don't necessarily just letting it fly. But the bottom line is, uh, I am not going to base my evaluation or my opinion on a quarterback based on what they do in the barn, okay? It's what they do on the football field that matters most. What I have seen from Keaton Thompson is that he is getting through his progressions better. He is throwing a better ball. He is throwing a catchable football. And we have these unofficial statistics that we keep at the scrimmages, and it's kept by the media, and a lot of that stuff is situational. And so there may be some things, okay, we want to see how what does Keaton do against this, or we want to show this offense against this defense and, and kind of tailor our, our play calling off of that. And so a lot of times when they run these things they're running things that the players need practice on we don't go out there and just do all the things they do well we go work on the things that we need to work on well we have areas of improvement to make and so as a result when they get in these drills a lot of times they're going to work the things that uh that are a little bit herky-jerky at times and so anybody that is already overreacting and saying well you know I saw this video, and Keaton didn't look real sharp. Well, you know, here's the deal. Uh, Everybody that I talk to tells me that Keaton is noticeably ahead of where he was this time last year and that he is easily ahead of everybody in the quarterback competition right now. We're starting to see Garrett Schrader kind of figure some things out, still kind of herky-jerky. There's there's still kind of a hitch and a giddy-up, as the old-timers like to say. He's still one of those guys that's still kind of refining his throwing motion. He's got great coaching. Andrew Briner and Joe Moorhead, they've got a lot to work with with Garrett Schrader. He is going to be a great quarterback at Mississippi State. But anybody right now expecting him to start this year, you're not being fair to him because he, he's at this point he is not ready for that. He needs, a, you know, He needs that skill refinement. He needs some development as a passer, and that's going to just take some time. He's going to play some this year. And Jay, listen, Jalen Maiden throws a good ball. There are other times I see Jalen Maiden throw a football, and I think, okay, well, you know, that that last pass, he whipped it around pretty good, and then the next one just comes out a little bit funky. So it's really kind of a consistency issue uh, with Jalen. He's not the runner Keaton is, but, I, but he does throw a very nice pass. When he is on, he is electric. He's one of those guys, too, that uh, he is a rhythm thrower. It's like when he makes, like if he fits one into a tight window, he's going to get going like the, once he makes that first tough pass, he's a guy that it kind of ignites the fire in him and kind of gets him going. So state has some good opportunities, but, uh, and, and some good options at quarterback, but anybody right now, not expecting Keaton Thompson to start the season opener is probably kidding themselves. You know, now a lot can change between now and fall camp. You know, someone may come back and, and catch fire and light it in a bottle and, and, uh, and take the lead. But at this point, I think it's pretty safe to say, uh, Keaton's going to be your guy. Now, a lot of discussion about Colin Hill. And uh, when I talk to people that I trust and I ask them, okay, who's the guy that you think is really kind of taking a step forward this year? Who Who's the one guy? Colin Hill. Consistently, Colin Hill. So, you know what, that, that, that kid's going to be a monster for us. We expect him to have a huge year for us. And Colin has always been a guy that has embraced the weight room and embraced the strength and conditioning part of football. He's never been a guy that uh, has shied away from that. And you see him now, and physically he looks to be in the best shape of his career. Now, I'm eager to see him run on Saturday in the open at Davis Wade. I'm ready to see him, see him get out there and finish some runs. But uh, he is a guy, too, that really kind of covets your approval. You know, he, he wants to be great. He wants to be embraced by the fan base. He wants to make big plays to kind of carry this football program forward. And so that that's a big step. You know, having him established, nobody's really challenging him Nick Gibson's moving along, and and I hear Nick has had the best spring practice of his career, and that's encouraging because Mississippi State doesn't have a lot of depth at running back, and so got to keep Colin healthy, and so Nick's going to have to kind of be at times kind of a, uh, you know, a a guy that eats up some reps for you. We'll have some reinforcements show up between now and fall camp and Lee Witherspoon and uh, Kareem Walker, but uh, I think by and large, the guys you're playing with right now, those are the guys you're depending on to carry much of the load uh, this season. The, the one guy that I hear, and you're not going to be the least bit surprised about this. So one guy that I hear that people are expecting to kind of be a difference maker this year is Brad Cumbust. And there are a lot of people saying, you know, it's it's almost like you hate to see him kind of split time, but because he has proven to be a bona fide contributor in baseball. And when he's out there at football practice, there's just a different flow to the offense because he is so dangerous have to seem, because he is such a skilled athlete. And uh, and I'll tell you this Brad Cumbus kid, if you have never been around him, once you and I'm gonna come to Fan Day, because I, I don't know that there is a uh, you know a more a more country kid on the team. But uh, there's probably also not a kid more grateful for the opportunity that he has at Mississippi State than than Brad Cumbus. I'm not saying that the other kids are ungrateful, but I'm telling you, he almost has this wide-eyed fascination with all of this. That uh, he is living his dream, and uh, as the kids say, living his best life. But I'll tell you, everybody that I speak to that's involved with the offense says, you know, it's it's a different team when Brad Cummins is out here at practice. When Brad is there, and uh, Jim Moorhead, I think, has handled it really well with Coach Lamonis. Nobody, uh, I think, is uh, is missing out here. But uh, you know, Brad is able to contribute, and and it, it kind of got me thinking. You know, how, how many two-sport athlete contributors? have we had in the modern era of Mississippi State athletics? And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I can't come up with very many. You know, Elijah just Daley's a guy that kind of tried to play basketball and football and, and really didn't play a lot of either. Uh, but he, he was a very skilled athlete. You know, Adron Chambers was a guy that, uh, you know, comes to Mississippi State as a football player and uh, ends up being a professional baseball guy. And he was a guy that was going to have an opportunity to do both, and he got into some trouble, some major trouble, uh, when he was here at Mississippi State. And I guess you could really go all the way back to the 80s uh, you know, and Glenn Young was a guy that uh, was a pinch runner on loan from Mississippi State football, uh, and then Michael Golder was a guy that didn't play two at the same time. You know, once he completed his eligibility as as a basketball player, he comes out and and um, you know, plays the one year of football at uh, Mississippi State that fall. But there have not been a lot of guys that have been able to really contribute, and I don't just mean special teams, but I mean be able to play both. And uh, Brad Cummins has now hit his way into the right-handed DH spot for Mississippi State. So when we're going to face left-handers, Cummins is your DH more times than not. Lennon Jordan got a start last week, and then Cummins takes over. Josh Hatcher is going to be your left-handed DH, you know, probably nine times out of ten uh, when you when you face a uh, right-handed pitcher. So I expect him to be in the lineup tonight. But when you begin to kind of look at what Cummins is doing as a freshman, and you begin to think about long term, you know, like what happens next year. You know, does he does he remain on lawn to baseball? You know, what what does that mean going forward? Because I think once he gets on the football field next fall regularly, uh you're gonna be impressed. You know, Farad Green is the salty veteran. You know, he's the one guy you can count on to, to kind of always get caught doing the right things. He's not the pass catcher that Jaquarius Spivey and Brad Cumbest are that's not who he is. Okay. Now that's not to say we can't count on him in the pass pattern because we can, but he's not as explosive as those guys, but he is the guy that'll get out there and make that devastating block for you. And then he is a bit of a walk and mismatch out there. But when you begin to kind of rotate and you know, Dante Jones is the guy that was a, you know, was a big time receiver at, at, uh, at Louisville high school. And so, uh, really think a lot of him, but I think that position can be one of strength this year. But, uh, a lot of people will tell you, on and off the record, that Brad Cumbust is a very explosive member of the Mississippi State offense. And so, when you begin to kind of factor that in, you know, what happens when he kind of becomes the star, you know, at tight end? You know, does he is he forced to make a decision? And there have been so many players in recruiting, and I talk to so many of them and say, well, you know, I want to play both in college. And we write those stories, and always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, that's what they say until they get here and they see the demands of all this thing. But I want you to think about Brad Kumbast having to go to football meetings, having to go to baseball practice, and then be a student athlete on top of it and then make his grades. There is a tremendous amount of sacrifice, a tremendous amount of effort that has gone into the Brad Cummins experience this year. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have him as an ambassador for our university. Every time I go on the road, I always see him coming back from the batting cages. And he is one of those guys always grateful to see us there, always grateful to see the Mississippi State fans there, and uh, very, very happy to have him as part of our team. And so defensively, you know, the one thing we keep hearing about, and uh, I didn't just glaze over receivers. I just have nothing new to really report there. It's kind of, kind of, is what it is. It's kind of, is what it has been. And uh, I'm eager to see those guys in action again on Saturday. But uh, defensively, from what I understand, we still feel really good about Lee Autry. Jaden Cromedy is the guy that really flashed in the last scrimmage at D tackle. And if you recall, he was a guy that we signed out of Oak Grove, expecting him to be a defensive end, kind of a rush-in Montez Sweat type, and then he shows up on campus at almost 300 pounds. And uh, now that he's in the strength and conditioning program, that looks to be kind of around his playing weight is going to be – he's not going to be a 265, 270-pound guy. He's going to be a bigger guy. And State needs him to be a bigger guy. You've had some injuries. You know, of course, Kendall Jones has been out. Uh, uh, Fabian Lovitz missed some practices. Uh, but Crumberty is a guy that has kind of stepped up. And so you know what you've got with Lee Autry. And uh, Cameron Young is a guy that uh, you know kind of a value commitment there out of uh, out of Meadville at Frankie County High School. And so he, he's a guy that's had some reps too. And so that's the biggest concern that we had going into spring remains the biggest concern, and that is defensive tackle. But we're beginning to see some guys kind of figure it out. And I really believe by the time we get to the fall, we probably, if we could find a grad transfer somewhere, if somebody can come in and contribute, we would certainly uh, love to have that this summer. But by the time we get into fall practice, Bob Shoop and uh, Deke Adams will have kind of figured some things out. I think that's going to be okay. One of the more encouraging things that I've heard as of late is that Lee, Leo Lewis has begun, it's all kind of started to click again with him. You know, Leo had that big year in 2016, and then uh, showed some flashes at times last year. I felt like last year was definitely a step forward after 17. I thought 16 was a great year, a really good year. 2017, I thought he was kind of mediocre. I thought thought he really took a step back. I think the way that Bob Shoup and Tim Lukaboo used him last year was really uh, more indicative of his true abilities, and I think he has embraced that, and I think we're going to use him a lot more this year. He is a guy that's very good uh, in the blitz package. He is a guy that uh, explosive first step, And this is the money year for him. You know, a lot of people thought he would come to Mississippi Stadium, be a a three-year guy, and be on out of here. And uh, there was discussion last year that if he had had a big year, he would likely go ahead and go pro. Uh, He has not done that. And so he's back for one more year. And uh, the returns as of late, much more positive, uh, much more positive with with him. And that's good because you feel really good about Errol Thompson and Willie Gay. And then you can get Leo and Tim Washington in the mix there. And Tim Washington, you talk about a guy that, uh, you know, State signed him. There were a lot of questions about where does he fit, what does he do. I thought last year he was you know, one of State's uh, most valuable reserves last year linebacker and uh, never really felt like there was a big drop-off when he was in the game. As good as we expect the linebackers to be, especially on the first team, the discussion about the secondary continues to be very, very encouraging. We're losing a lot, you know, obviously, with Mark McLaurin and Jonathan Abram. Uh, Chris Rayford's a guy that was a real value guy from Mississippi State. Uh, he's moved on. But the first-team secondary continues to be one that is mentioned regularly by Coach Bob Shoop and others. Uh, Brian Cole was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be a one-and-done here at Mississippi State. And then, of course, he has uh, you know the issue that's kind of forced him to have the uh, the redshirt year. And then he had a, had a big year going last year, and then he gets injured. He has come back and appears to be having the best football camp of his career. Bob Shoop raves about him. His teammates rave about him. That they're planning for him to be a return guy, get on special teams. Uh, really felt like he had a, you know some explosiveness in the return game last year. I remember a couple of big returns against Kentucky when uh, State struggled offensively. You know, he was he was part of you know trying to get things going. You recall he had that big interception too to kind of uh, set us up and get us back in the ball game, and one of which we did not capitalize on. But that guy is a playmaker. He is also a guy with NFL potential. And I think when guys see what Jonathan Abram is doing and the exposure that he is getting. And listen, John is a very quotable young man, got a lot of personality. He's going to be a great locker room guy. But I think when they have watched him and kind of learned how to work. And so, Brian Cole, Dequarius J- Landrews, we're getting a lot of positive comments on and off the record about them. And listen, coaches are always, you know, sometimes they're talking to the team through the media. So there are I know they don't want to get out there and get quite so vocal and, and, and maybe say things that, um, you know, maybe give a guy a reason to have a little pause and think, hey, I'm doing great. But uh, I, I would say the comments that we're getting off the record are more encourage, encouraging about those guys than the ones we're getting on the record. And so when you read those glowing comments, understand there's some other things that we're being told that's even better. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about as good as we were this year, we could be even better. And when you begin to think about the, the 2020 draft, I know we're not even had 2019 yet, but you, you could have a situation where you have Cam Dansler, uh, Jaquarius Landers, and Brian Cole out of the secondary all drafted. And then we'll see what happens with Mo Smitherman, uh, who Drew Buckley continues to say may be the most consistent performer in the secondary. It's now about building some depth. Now you've kind of got to get some guys going behind them. Because you know, if anything we learned last year, the way that we want to get downhill and the way that we want to walk safeties down in the box and bring blitzes and that kind of stuff and kind of put them in harm's way at times, you're going to get injured. You're going to have some guys get nicked up. You're going to have guys miss some time. Uh, Jonathan Abram moved all over the secondary last year and uh, things really took off for us with him lined up at nickel. And at some point, you had four different players play nickel. If you recall, we had uh, Brian Cole, Aquarius Landrews, Marcus Murphy, uh, and then Jonathan Abram. And so Obviously, that's a very fluid position for us, but uh, we've got to stay healthy, but you've got to find some guys that can play behind them and have an opportunity to, to to not have a drop-off because in this league, as you guys know, you get the wrong rotation out there and you get your reserves out there against a guy, you know, a big-time receiver, and uh, they make a mistake, don't have good eye discipline, get caught looking in the backfield, and you get beat over the top. That's the difference in winning and losing a lot of times. So now it's just about building some depth. And so... I don't know how nice the weather will be Saturday. I don't know how controlled the scrimmage will be. There will be some things. It's not going to be just a typical football game. They're going to let the ground rules this week, uh, I guess today. They'll have a meeting and say, okay, we want to run this, we want to run that. There will be some times that they'll set the defense up uh, in the red zone just to give the offense an opportunity to work against those packages and work against that sort of stuff. And so uh, that's part of the deal. So kind of understand that going in. It's really a chance for us to kind of see these guys play and uh, kind of close out practice. And there'll be a cleanup deal after this thing is over. But uh, football has kind of snuck under the radar this year because there's been so many other things going on. State's been so competitive in so many other things that uh, it's allowed football to kind of work in the background. And I think in some respects that's been really good for Joe Moorhead and been good for Mississippi State just because of the fact that that you know they've got some questions to answer. And I think they're going to sneak up on some people this year. I, I expect to have a good year. I don't know if it's a great year or not. I think it's a good year. I think uh, what happens with the quarterback position, defensive tackle position, and certainly the wide receivers need to step up. And that, that whole, it kind of all goes hand in hand with quarterback. You know, if they can find the currency there to get this thing going, it could be a really big year. But uh, I, again, expect us to be in a bowl game somewhere, and I think we're going to have an opportunity to have a good year. And I think this, this quarterback competition has been good for Keaton and been good for all, all parties involved. But the, what excites me the most is not the fact that we had a, a great defense last year. What excites me is that we have a great defensive system at Mississippi State. We have a defense that players have bought into and are happy to play in. So, yes, we're going to take a little bit of a step back at uh, at some units, personnel-wise, but you've got a coaching staff that knows how to utilize the players you have on your roster to get stops. And uh, Bob Sheep is an unbelievably intelligent person, and if you've ever been around him, you know how impressive he is. When you talk some football with him, he can, he can get X's and O's with the best of them, but he will tell you it's about having players. And Mississippi State still has a lot of players. It's just the emphasis this year kind of rotates from the front seven to the back seven and uh, a lot of people believe this mississippi state secondary can be even better than what we put on the field last year well folks it's going to do it for today we'll be back i want to remind you guys too as we will be back on wednesday on friday pardon me uh, if you hadn't done so go buy your stark villain gear at starkvillains.com i'm beginning to see a lot of people you know messaging me about hey steve where do we get the shirts and uh seeing a lot more people say hey I'll wear my shirt around town, and I've had people order the shirt right there at the register. You know, people, like, get on their phones and go buy a shirt. And so you can go get yours at StarkVillains.com, and uh, Stark Villains, the book, will be out sooner rather than later, and uh, we'll have a release date coming up for you pretty soon. Until next time, let's all live our lives, and a way we'll make more friends and enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live.